First Peter verses 1 and 2, hear the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are called, who are exi- elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Since returning to the United States about a year and a half ago from 24 years in another country, I have sensed a feeling as I've interacted with Christians. I've sensed an impression among Christians that society is less and less friendly to the Christian faith. And what I'm sensing is it feels like, for some, an abnormal sort of situation. But what I would like to emphasize, and what I think we need to understand, is it's actually a normal situation for Christians throughout history and Christians throughout most of the world. It's a a strange situation if the culture in which Christians live is actually supportive of the Christian faith. And if there have been times in the history of the United States when uh, when the the culture has been supportive of Christianity, that is is a kind of a blip. That is a a different situation for what Christianity has experienced in all of its existence. Christianity was born and Christianity spread rapidly in a hostile environment. And that's how it is spreading around the world today, in, uh, in situations that are hostile to the faith. In adverse circumstances, Christians have tended to do one of two things. And one is simply to assimilate. If the society is doing this, then we just kind of go along with society. We don't stand out. We just kind of do whatever society does. Uh, and the other is to retreat. And we've seen those two impulses throughout history, where there's, there's assimilation, just going along with the flow, or there is retreat. And those two things can happen at the same time. We can have, like we have in the United States, where uh, professing Christians divorce at the same rate as people outside the church, and so there's assimilation there with the, the mores of society, and it seems that in many cases Christians use the same patterns for dating, the same patterns for entertainment, the same patterns for spending money, and so there's, a, there's an assimilation, but at the same time there can be a retreat into uh, multiple Christian activities that take us out of interaction with people that aren't in the church. And so on the one hand, our lifestyles can assimilate to the lifestyles of those outside the church, and yet at the same time our activities can take us out of the world and out of interacting with people uh, who don't know the gospel message. Uh, Peter writes to a situation, a situation that was unfriendly to Christianity. And he's writing to the Christians in that situation, and he's saying, don't take either of these options. Don't assimilate, don't just go along, but also don't, uh, don't retreat from the culture. He's calling Christians to engage, not to go along with the culture, but to engage the culture for the blessing of the people around us. Now, we don't have the details about the circumstances of the original hearers or readers of this letter, but it will become obvious as we go through it that, uh, that they were not in friendly territory. And um, what he's calling them to do 
is the same thing he's calling us to do, and that is to live out our faith in a society that is at least unsupportive and at worst hostile to what we believe. Now, I've chosen First Peter to start the year in order to help us to understand what God is calling us to be as Florida Coast Church. What is his call to us as a church. We are taking steps in this new year to, to formalize our church. Uh, so far, we've over these first 11 months, we've been meeting together and having Bible study and prayer and worship and activities, uh, but we've never formalized our church. We don't have members yet. We're not having the Lord's Supper yet, and we'll be taking steps to, to, to formalize our commitment uh, to each other as a church. And as we do so, I want us to hear First Peter, because First Peter tells us what kind of people we need to be. What kind of people Christians need to be in any sort of circumstance? And it really fits our circumstance and probably circumstances all over the world, uh, basically throughout Christian history. Now, that's a little bit of an introduction, but now let's get into the text. We have only two verses uh, that we're going to be dealing with today, and I think this will help us understand uh, the context here. Who's writing to whom? What was their situation? What was his situation? So he identifies himself as Peter. And Peter was an apostle, and that's all he says about himself. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, If you go back and look at the gospel records, uh, Jesus chose some to be apostles. He sold 12 men to be his followers, and he called them apostles. Apostle uh, means sent out. So we could translate this as missionaries, but they were not just missionaries in a generic, general sense. They were specific ones that Jesus chose and sent out to establish his church around the world, and they did. They did in their lifetimes. They were sent out, and they did preach the gospel in many places and got the church going in many parts of the known world. Peter was one of the first to be called, and he was in something of an inner circle. You see that there were the multitudes, and then there were the disciples, the apostles, and their closer friends, and then there were the twelve, and then there was something of an inner circle as well, which were three, Peter, and then two brothers, James and John. And so sometimes Peter, James, and John got to see things that the others didn't get to see. Now, Peter wrote this from, if you'll go to the end of the letter, First Peter chapter 5, go to the end of the letter, he says something In verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, She who is, this is a bit enigmatic, a little mysterious, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. So she who is in Babylon. Now, um, the church in the New Testament is often talking about, uh, spoken of as a woman and a feminine. So she is referring to the church. And then Babylon is probably a code name. And the code name is probably for Rome, uh, the capital of the Roman Empire. So Peter, it appears, was in Rome at this time, and he was writing from Rome. And he wrote to a group of people. If you see, they were in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these were regions of the Roman Empire, and they were in the northern part of Turkey. Uh, well, what we call Turkey, it was Asia Minor at the time, but... but Turkey, and it was a relatively sparsely populated area. It wasn't as well populated as the coastal regions. And it was an area that the Roman Empire was trying to colonize. And so what they would do is they would send Romans in to try to establish the Roman culture and Roman rule. Now, we don't know the situation, but but 
it could be, let me just paint a, a possible scenario for what was going on here. It could be that these Christians, to whom he's writing, had lived in Rome. And they had been expelled from Rome, which is something that happened periodically, especially with Jewish people. And at this point, Christians and Jews were considered to be the same people by the Romans. So it could be that these people were expelled from Rome, and they were sent out to Asia Minor, Turkey, the northern part, the sparsely populated part, in order to colonize it for Rome. But you can imagine how these people would feel. They're Christians, uh, if this is the case, getting kicked out of Rome, so they're getting kicked out of their own country, their own land, uh, and then they're getting sent to another land, and so they would feel doubly, doubly foreign. They would, they would be uh, not welcome in their own city, and not welcome into the places in which they were going. And it could be, once again, we don't know, it could be that Peter was their pastor in Rome, and then they were sent out, for some reason Peter wasn't sent out, uh, at that point he was able to stay in Rome, and he was writing to his flock that had been dispersed among uh, the area of Asia Minor. Now, how did he call them? That's, that's somewhat speculative, but it, it fits with some of the data. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he writes to them, and he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So let's look at that, how he describes them. Elect exiles of the dispersion. So first he calls them elect. And this idea of election, or God's choosing His people, uh, we saw that in our Old Testament reading, and we see it all through the Scriptures, that God chooses those whom He wants to be His own. It goes back to Abraham. He chose Abraham out of the nations. And then of Abraham's sons, He chose uh, Isaac uh, to, to be the, the, the heir of the promise. And then out of Isaac's sons, he chose Jacob to be the heir of the promises. And so you see all through Scripture that God is, is choosing His people uh, because He wants to place His love upon them. Now, we will see that Peter develops this idea more of God choosing, uh, but, but I just want you to, to see that that's how he leads off. And then if you look at what we just read in 1 Peter 5.12, how did he call the church in, um, in Babylon? He said, She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So he begins with this idea that God chooses His people, and he ends with the idea that God chooses His people. And then he calls them the exiles of the dispersion. In 586 before Christ, 586 years before Christ, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and they conquered it. And they raised it to the ground, they destroyed it, they knocked down the temple, and they took away the inhabitants of Jerusalem and they exiled them into Babylon. They carried them off for 70 years. Some of them eventually came back and many of them did not. And uh, since that time, the Jews refer to the diaspora, the diaspora. And diaspora means dispersion. And that's the word that Peter uses here. So he says, to the diaspora, uh, the diaspora, um, the, the, I'm sorry, the, um, the chosen or the elect diaspora in different places, Pontus, Galatia, etc., um, it may be, it may be, and the scholars debate this, it may be that the recipients of this letter were Jews. And so they were literally, physically descendants of, of Abraham. They were Jewish people, and they had been dispersed with the rest of the Jews. It may be that. Or, he may be saying, uh, Peter may be saying that uh, all Christians are exiles. All Christians have been dispersed. 
These people maybe physically had been kicked out of Rome and were being dispersed among the nations. But at the same time, it may be that he's saying, listen, all Christians are like that. All of us have been have been kicked out, uh, run out of our homeland that we thought was our home before, and now we're in a place that is not really our home, and so we all feel like exiles. And that's what we are in this earth. But put these things together. It's kind of a strange expression, isn't it? Elect exiles. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Elect exiles. Chosen, that's positive. Exiles is, is negative. That's, so chosen, kicked out people is what he's saying. So you're, you're elect, you're privileged, you're chosen, you're favored, and at the same time you're rejected, you're run out, you're, you're foreigners, you're uh, rejected from uh, your uh, home place. But these two actually do go together. Um, why are we, if, if this is referring to all Christians as I think it is, why are we exiles? Well, we're exiles precisely because we've been chosen by God. Uh, if we've been chosen by God, then He has chosen us to be His possession, His prized possession, which means we're no longer possessed by the world. So we, we belong to God, but if we belong to God, then we no longer belong to the world. So these two things actually do go together. We become exiles by being chosen by God. And uh, that's how we're going to feel. That's what we're going to feel in this world. I think we missionaries, we have been missionaries, have special practice at feeling out of place. Um, for 24 years, I, I lived in Mexico, assimilated, speak the language, understand the culture to a large degree, and yet I realized that I was not a Mexican and I would never be a Mexican. I realized that wherever I was there, as comfortable as I might feel in many senses, I was, I was not at home, I was, I was not from there. I didn't have a passport from there, and, and many things still, even after 24 years, there were words I didn't understand, expressions I didn't understand, cultural clues I still wasn't getting. I was, I was always sort of out of place. And then I come back to the United States, and my passport says I'm from here, and now I'm confused again, because I've gotten so used to the, the way things are done there, and now I don't understand things. Why do people greet people the way they do or not greet people the way they do in Mexico? And why do they, why do they come at, on time and then leave so quickly and, and, and things that just have me a little bit confused? And so I think we have some special practice at feeling out of place. We're experts at feeling out of place. But actually, Peter said, well, that's the situation of all Christians. We really are out of place if, if we've been chosen by God. We, we really won't fit in completely in this world. And, and if your goal is to fit in, then you're going to be very uncomfortable with Christianity. Because Christianity is going to make you an exile. Faith in Jesus Christ is going to make you out of place. But if your goal is to be God's prized possession, if that's what you prize, then you will often feel in this world that, that you just don't fit. You just don't fit. And Peter's saying, that's right. That's right. If you're chosen by God, you won't just fit. The expression, in the world, but not of the world, aptly sums up the, the description of, of Christian chosen exiles. We live in this world. We don't retreat from this world. But at the same time, we're not possessed by this world anymore. We're not of this world. Then, in verse 2, Peter describes the work 
of God in this chosen exiled people. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. Notice here that he mentions Father, Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Now, this is very early on in the history of Christianity. So, they hadn't gotten together to formulate doctrine, but you see all through the New Testament that this idea of Father, Spirit, and Son, they show up all the time and all on the same level. Now, eventually... Eventually, the church would get together and define the doctrine of the Trinity, looking at what uh, the evidence is in Scripture, that there is one God, and that this one God exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we see this here. Not a full-blown doctrine of the Trinity that comes later, but here we see that that Peter, with, with all naturalness, puts God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ all on the same level, working together in our and for our salvation. But the order's a little strange here, isn't it? For us, anyway. Usually, we who are familiar with the Trinity, what do we say? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what do we find here? We find God the Father, then the Spirit, and then then the Son, Jesus Christ. Exactly. It may be that what Peter is doing is following our experience, how we experience, um, or, or rather, kind of the chronology of God's work in our lives. God, first, God the Father, He chooses us according to His foreknowledge, and then, in time, the Spirit sets us apart. That's what sanctification means. He sets us apart. He works in our lives. He produces faith in us so that we are set apart. And then, what is our experience? Our experience is that we're sprinkled by the blood of Christ. So God the Father sets us apart, this, or I'm sorry, God the, the Father chooses us according to His foreknowledge and His plan, and then the Spirit works in our lives to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ, and then our experience is that we experience sprinkling, we experience cleansing by His blood, and the result of that is obedience to Jesus Christ. So it, it may be that that's, that's the order that Peter is following here. And then he ends up saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Every letter in the New Testament, except one, in the greeting mentions grace and peace. Every, every letter except one. So this is standard. Uh, but what is Grace. Grace is God's favor towards sinners. And once again, you'll see how Peter begins and ends with the same thing. If you go back to chapter 5 again and look at verse 12, Peter ends by saying, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so he begins with God's chosen people. He ends with God's chosen people. He begins with God's grace, His free favor to sinners. And he ends with God's grace. And really, this is, this is his message. Uh, I'm giving you a spoiler here because uh, this, is, this is the message of 1 Peter. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And in every, every section we're going to see in 1 Peter, that's going to be the message. This is the grace of God. This is the favor of God towards you. Stand firm in it. And what is God's peace? 
Well, peace has a long history. It's the shalom of the Old Testament, which is not just the absence of, of conflict, but the presence of, of harmony, the presence of well-being. So he says, grace, God's favor that is free towards you, may that be multiplied. His peace, which is, which is a good relationship, a well-being with God, may that be multiplied to you as well. But Peter, and only Peter, varied this, this greeting. He mentioned grace, he mentioned peace, but he also mentioned multiplication. He said, may grace and peace, he did this in 1 Peter, he did this in 2 Peter, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now let me ask you something. When do we need something to be multiplied? Um, when do we need God's grace and peace to be multiplied to us? Well, the answer would be always, of course. But when do we feel that need for God's favor? Often we feel that need for God's favor when we don't have favor from other people. When other people are opposed to us, when, when there's that, that need in our life for, for favor, and we all need favor. But if the people around us are not favorable toward us, and in fact, if they're, if they're unfavorable toward us, or even against us, as was the situation in 1 Peter, then, then the, the need, the, the felt need for God's favor is, is multiplied. And Peter says, may, may, may God's grace be multiplied to you. If you're in a situation in which, which you're not receiving favor from others, that's okay. You're, you're elect exiles, but may God's grace be multiplied to you. And, and when, do we, when do we need God's peace to be multiplied to us? We need God's peace to be multiplied to us when we don't have peace outside and we don't have peace inside. And uh, if others are against us because of our Christian faith, we, we could be anxious, we could be fearful, but he, Peter says, God's grace, God's peace, it's abundant for you and no matter what your situation is, and I don't know what uh, the Lord has for the United States and the Christian church in the United States or the Christian church in any other part of the world. I don't know what He has for my life or your life today or tomorrow or the next day after that. But I can guarantee that there will be opposition mixed into whatever comes to us as Christian people. I can agree that I can, I can assure you that there will be uh, uh, people who are against us, that there will be uh, unfavorableness toward us that there will be uh, those who are not peaceable toward us. And in whatever situation we find ourselves, this is the message for us, that God's grace, that God's peace, that they may be multiplied to whatever amount that we need that the situation that we're in requires. So let's pray. Our God, we thank You for these people that were strewn around, these Christian people strewn around in strange places to them. They felt like exiles, and they were if they were Roman citizens, but living in Asia. But more than that, they were Christian people living in this world, and we are Christian people living in this world. And I pray, O oh God, that we would understand our situation as elect exiles, that we are chosen and favored by You in Jesus Christ, not for any good in us, but because of Your great love. And by being Your possession, we are no longer possessed by the world. We pray, O oh God, that You would enable us to receive constantly the, the true grace that You have given to us and that we would stand firm in it. 
as individuals and as the church that you are calling us to be in this place and in this time. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.